Hey everybody, on today's podcast, we're gonna be talking about owner financing and wraps. Listen in. Welcome to the Invest in San Antonio podcast, hosted by Brad Larson, real estate broker and founder of RentWorks Property Management in Military City, USA. San Antonio, Texas is one of the greatest places on earth to work, live, and raise a family. It's one of the fastest growing areas in the country. So together, let's take advantage of the rock solid economy along with the strong housing market. In this podcast, we'll interview some fantastic guests with conversations highlighting some of the best parts of the local real estate market and the people that make it great as we invest in San Antonio. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Invest in San Antonio podcast. Now today's guest, I have some really good experiences working with this gentleman. This is an attorney named Alan Sheshker. I hope I said that name right. He's probably going to smack me as soon as he comes on, but I wanted to bring him on to talk about investments in San Antonio and Austin and what they're doing as a law firm and title business. And so I've had really good experiences working with them. I did a couple of uh, investment wraps myself with the Cheshker team. And so I know all about what they do and what they offer, but I want to bring them on because there's some new legislation that he wants to talk about. There are some highlights of what he's seen and what he's doing in the title business, the seller financing world, and the rap world, uh, and he'll explain what that means if you're if you're unfamiliar. But without further ado, I want to bring him on, let him introduce himself, and we can kind of have a conversation from there. So, Alan, how are you doing today? Doing fine, Brad. Doing fine. I appreciate you uh, having me on. Looking forward to discussing all the uh, wild stuff going on with mortgage wraps and seller financing. Yeah, give us a, a down and dirty of who you are. You know, top top level. Go go from there. Good deal. Um, it, it's not real sexy, I always say. We're just a title office, and we have an attorney that can step in and help when needed. Uh, we close conventional transactions, the regular stuff, but then we also are here to close the creative financing uh, complex uh, investor transactions. Good enough. So my experience with you was super positive uh, because I did a couple of owner wrap financing deals on purchasing rental properties years ago. And so the way this happened was this is in a down market, obviously. I mean, clearly it's not in today's market where you can put your home on Facebook and sell it in five minutes, right? It's a, it, And we may see that down the future. We don't know. But essentially how it came to be is the owners that we were managing said, we're done. We're, we're out of money. Uh, there's repairs that need to be made. And we just want out. I said, well, cool. I will buy the home from you. Uh, we'll, we'll put this much down. I'll take over the payments immediately. And what we did was a wrap financing type situation. So rather than me butcher it, please explain to the audience what you feel in your paraphrase a wrap is. So uh, a mortgage wrap transaction, and then there's different varieties, but bottom line is any transaction, it's a seller finance transaction that is not going to pay off the underlying mortgage. That underlying mortgage stays in place. The seller is actually still legally responsible for that. It's just the buyer now comes in and they, they all, they're also responsible for paying that mortgage, whether it's a sub two assumption or, or mortgage wrap. But that's the bottom line, seller finance where the mortgage isn't paid off. Right, and so your team helped us with the paperwork because there's paperwork involved. You have to transfer the note, uh, excuse me, transfer the deed, excuse me. The note stays in place with the existing lender. And so what we did is essentially, it's what they sometimes call a non-qualifying assumption. Uh, remember back in the day, one of my mentors, and he was Tony Forcione, he ran a Sterling Group Realty out of shirts, and he bought a ton of properties from the VA, 
when they were doing the VA non-qualifying assumptions. I don't know if you even remember back that far. This was like, you know, the 80s. And he was taking over these VA loans with like zero money into it, just taking over the payments. You know, you know a lot of them might have been 10, 12%, but uh, he had the deal of his lifetime. And I don't know how many he acquired, maybe 100, maybe 200 of those non-qualifying VA assumptions. So the, the concept of the non-qualifying assumption, the verbiage still kind of holds true, is you're not going to the lender and asking for their permission. You're just basically taking over that note. Now, the seller is still going to be responsible for that. So there might be a few things you want to consider there. Uh, give us a few minutes on what the seller should consider in offering that situation. So, um, and, and it's good you're using the, the non-qualified assumption because the term assumption actually shouldn't be used. Uh, it should be uh, subject to is the term when you're just taking over the mortgage. But a, a, a seller, you know, I almost did my personal home seller finance wrap. Um, the things you need to be concerned with is is really just monitoring the the payments. Uh, the buyer is going to take over that responsibility, and you you could ignore it and just let those things occur. But you, you want to watch and see if there's any type of default. Uh, you also want to make sure that the insurance is in place. Um, you know, everyone hears about the due on sale clause issue in, in a mortgage wrap. That's actually not an issue. I call it a non-issue. Uh, getting the insurance in place uh, correctly is is more important than the due on sale clause issue. Uh, so you want to monitor and make sure that insurance stays in place. Monitor and make sure those payments are being made. Other than that, it, it really should just run itself uh, as long as there's no default. Yeah, if you can set it up on auto pay type situation and work with the seller directly on any sort of escrow shortages that might pop up, you know how that works where there's, there's, you know, you're short a thousand bucks in the escrow because the property taxes went up. So you, okay, you, you write the check for that and you make it whole, but I'm glad you corrected me on the terms because again, that's, that's why you're here is I would have called it an assumption, but it really is a subject too. And you are correct in that. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, what we did is we created a third option here at RentWorks. Now, in a hot market, man, this is like, you know, it's almost like a waste of time to even bring it up to some people. But imagine when the cooler market, we would go to owners who would call us out and they would say, you know what, I just, I need to explore all options. I want to explore renting. I want to explore selling. And I'm not really happy with either. Well, what about a third option? And we created this third option of a, uh, basically a subject to wrap finance where the seller would sell us the property and we would become the buyer. Now we haven't done a lot of these. Uh, I, it's templated. I've got a frequently asked questions list that I should have probably brought up for this episode, but I figured we'll just kind of shoot from the hip and go from there. But some of it is that brings up is does that home remain on the seller's credit? So that's a good question to ask. What do you think? So uh, it, it does. And, and so, Typically, a seller is going to think, well, I, I can't qualify for, you know, two $250,000 mortgages or what have you. Uh, but the the debt to income uh, ratios is what's going to be that uh, something that prevents a seller from getting a new mortgage. And so as long as we're drafting up our promissory note and you can show your, your loan officer uh, six months or sometimes 12 months of, of timely payments, then that debt to income ratio issue goes away. They're gonna they're gonna give you credit for the income, and and take off that that debt obligation. So, while it stays on your credit reporting, it's not going to prevent you from getting a new mortgage, uh, because uh, ne nearly one hundred percent is going to be taken out of that DTI uh, ratio. Well, that's actually good to know because 
in a way you could benefit the seller by just making consistent timely payments because a lot of times if they're coming to you anyway and this is an option that's even on the table they may have already got into 30 or 60 or even you know six months worth of default and you may have to spend all your down payment or whatever you term you work up just to bring them current once they're brought current and they decide they want to convey the property to you this might actually benefit them because I'm assuming the investor is going to have enough wherewithal to make payments on time, timely payments, you know, ahead of time, keep the insurance up to date. Uh, and then, of course, make sure the property taxes are paid and paid correctly. And then, of course, any HOA dues, because that can sneak up on you, right? If you're not paying the HOA in a timely manner, they have way too much power nowadays, as you would probably agree. Uh, they can foreclose. They can do all kinds of things. They can eat your children, whatever the HOA wants to do. It's amazing how much power they have. But give us a couple minutes on the insurance, because I want to make sure that uh, if there are any stipulations with that, do you have to go to an insurance company and fully explain this? Or is it just as simple as say, hey, I've got another property that's a uh, investment property. I need a proper investment insurance. Give me a couple minutes on that. So uh, the, the answer is no, you can't just go out to any uh, insurance agent and say, hey, get me, get me insurance on this complex mortgage wrap transaction. And as a matter of fact, I've got uh, two agencies that uh, I've used for years, years and years. And they've proven that they know how to do this. Uh, and if you're not using one of those two agencies and closing at my office, you actually have to sign off on a release and, and uh, indemnity agreement that says you're not going to blame me when this fails because the, the insurance is actually, well, I'm going to say complex to get in place. Uh, I'll, I'll parrot the information and the words from the insurance agent. But the, the bottom line is, is the seller cannot keep their insurance because you can't insure a property you don't own. The, the end buyer has to buy the, the insurance, and that insurance needs to list uh, underlying mortgage company correctly, needs to list the seller uh, also as an a, a additional interest, not additional insured, uh, and then they're also a, a mortgagee. So you've got Wells Fargo or whoever is a mortgagee uh, protected party, and the uh, seller is mortgagee protected party, but seller is also an additional interest. So if you're getting all your insurance, I always say from from Aunt Aunt Shelley, uh, she's not doing this uh, uh, insurance for you. Invariably, what happens is uh, we close. Aunt Shelley calls me and starts asking me how to get the insurance in place, and that's not something I can advise on. So you you, you do have to use a, a an insurance agent that's proven to know how to get these insurance policies in place. Well, I would, I would assume that's the easy button for most of these investors that come through your organization. Uh, you do you, you can potentially help with some of the uh, uh, document preparation, meaning like to help get the transaction just e at least under contract. Uh, I believe you do have some templated contracts for that. Then, of course, you can help close it. You know, you have all the title and, and title policies. And, and then, of course, you have your your closing documents. But the insurance is a big piece. And personally, I like the, the easy button type scenario where you know, if, it's, if a, an investor is going to go through the headache and, and, you know, all the terms of trying to put this thing into wraps as far as any sort of uh, deal, it just makes a lot of sense just to take it one more step further and let the context that you recommend. I mean, you're not probably any even, uh, you'll probably have no affiliation with them, but you can recommend them wholeheartedly to say, yeah, they've kept us out of trouble for years and years. They know what this is. They know what the correct parties need to be named. So again, it's just like the the non the the altogether one stop shop that I think you guys offer that is quite exciting, and it's interesting to see how well you've done. I mean, we're talking. You guys have been in business what 10, 15 years now. How long have you been doing this? Uh, so the the title work been doing since '04, and been on my own since '07. So what is that? Uh, 
15 years. Yeah, yeah, you guys have been around for a while. And for the investors that have no idea who you are, uh, you really do have a pretty good website where a lot of this is laid out. A lot of the frequently asked questions are laid out. And then your team, I mean, you're, they're punching out these documents, you know, 10 a day, 20 a day. I mean, they, they know exactly what they got to be, uh, what they have to read. And uh, it's a really good system. So what you guys focus on, just to be 100% clear to the audience, is you guys are working mostly with subject twos and owner financing type of purchases from buyer and seller. Am I correct in that? Uh, pretty much. So I, w I would say 30% of our work is, is what I call conventional uh, end user seller to end user buyer. And then 70% is going to be investor transactions. And of that, uh, I would say half are probably going to fall into the either seller finance wrap or, or, or creative financing, maybe ABBC flips and things like that. So we're, we're just a, a regular old title office that happens to be able to do that hard stuff. Well, that's that's a big key because that's a lot of times that's what we're looking for. Um, there's a couple benefits for seller financing. Obviously, there's potential tax breaks uh, because the the money received by the seller could be broken up over several years, right, or even thirty years. Versus like here's a chunk, right? Boom! Now go pay your taxes on it. So that's an uh, an opportunity for a seller. There's an increased interest rate, so they could potentially charge a, a little bit of a premium of an interest rate. And guess what? If the home defaults, right, who does it go back to? It goes back to the seller. So there is a pretty good motivation for a lot of folks to do the seller financing nowadays. And you know, you've also seen all kinds of different business models in the investor world where people go out and buy these rental properties and then they turn into like a bank, right? So where, I mean, they, uh, Let's say they buy five rental homes and they turn around and they owner finance all five and they get these big giant down payments from people with less than stellar credit. Uh, and then they live in them for three, four, five years. And sometimes those folks walk away. Sometimes they complete the transaction. And if they do walk away, the seller takes the home back and does it all again. Uh, so you, you have seen kind of everything. Uh, just on that unique business model, what have you seen? Any pitfalls, any lessons learned from the folks that do that? Just because it's kind of a fun thing to discuss, even though a lot of the investors that may listen may just be one-time owners, reluctant landlords. Um, but this is kind of fascinating stuff to me. And I thought, hey, it's worth bringing up to you while I got you. Go ahead. Yeah, so the, the, the typical investment model, and, and the only thing that I do is uh, I'm going to uh, purchase a property by subject to acquisition. So I'm just taking over the mortgage and now it's my property and any exit strategy is available to someone who acquires a property by subject to you can keep it as a rental can be a fix and flip a conventional sale or what i do is i immediately seller finance wrap that transaction so a uh, a, a typical one i have right now um i uh, I, I put on auto pay i send up the uh, 1500 to the to freedom mortgage company and then uh gutierrez uh, pays me 1900 and uh, uh, within that transaction, I've got about $40,000 equity, uh, at least at the time of close. Uh, and so when they do refi, I get that, that chunk. Um, and, and you've kind of hit the, the nail on the head when you, when you mentioned that we're, we're able to tell the seller, hey, you're going you're gonna to benefit from this. Your credit's going to uh, uh, get better um, because these foreclosures are a, a prototypical example of, of transactions that lend themselves to sub two acquisition and then seller finance wrap because they're in a distressed situation and we come in and like you said we're helping their credit's going to get better uh, over the months and, and years and 
the transaction isn't going to stop them from getting a new mortgage later down the line. So that's that's the typical scenario is subject to acquisition, seller finance wrap, uh, or again, any exit strategy is going to be available to you once you acquire it. And so that that model that you uh, just mentioned, I don't want to be a landlord. It's just I've got a job and I've got uh, enough on my plate. So uh, a landlord could come in and take all. They, they have a dozen properties. They could convert all those into seller finance transactions if they wanted to. Um, so re- really anything's open in the world of, of, of wraps. Isn't it fun? I mean, it's kind of cool how it can go. So let's let's bring up the dreaded do on sale clause, right? As you're drinking water, you're probably going to spit it out and say, oh, I hate that thing. Now, I have heard, this is a rumor, I've heard that there's only one bank that I've heard of or know of, and it's Randolph Brooks that have ever called a note due because there's gang, there's a do on sale clause. So if you do any sort of uh, subject to with an existing mortgage, if the bank gets wind of it and they have a burr in their saddle that day, they could exercise the do on sale clause. I probably miss explain that if that's a word. Uh, <laughs> I probably butchered that explanation, but please correct me on that and tell me, give me a few minutes on the, on that do on sale clause. Now you, you 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 hit the nail on the head, and uh, the you're you're correct, uh, Randolph Brooks, and then um, there's another credit union uh, that uh, has uh, come around. But you know we we've we've closed uh, probably close to twenty thousand mortgage wrap transactions over the years, and uh, of those, we've had about three occasions where the the lender is calling the mortgage due, um, and and the reason is usually something. You know, fantastical, uh, uh, a condo uh, regime uh, went bankrupt. And so they saw that there was a, a seller finance wrap on one of their units and they called it due. Uh, sometimes the uh, the parties will alert the bank, uh, either accidentally, sometimes intentionally. Um, and so uh, the due on sale clause, I mean, you, you look at the numbers, three out of 20,000 is, is almost negligible. Um, and we do have a fix that we uh, do. I call it a cat and mouse game. Um, we, we, as long as we have all the parties still working with us, we'll deed the property back over to the, to the seller, show the bank, okay, look, we've corrected this due on sale issue for you. And then, uh, after the bank goes away, we just re-record a deed over to the end buyer. Um, we, we've only had to do that, uh, I think on two occasions and, uh, it worked beautifully on both occasions. Lender never found out about it. This is years and years ago. Uh, so there is a fix. Uh, the, the other fix is, you, you know, you have to pay off that mortgage, uh, which always isn't a, a possibility for this end buyer to go out and get a mortgage or, or pay off that mortgage. So this uh, cat and mouse game fix uh, is, is one thing that we've relied upon uh, a couple times. Yeah, Alan, that was a really good paraphrase of that conversation. And I wanted to, to hedge for you and tell everybody that three out of 20,000 is a good number, but it still could happen, right? So don't be too excited to to run out and do this. You need to understand the risk. It's like the asking attorney if I should go speeding on the highway on, on I-10. Uh, well, the speed limit is 70, so you could go 75, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. You know what I mean? It's always that conversation from any attorney. But you know, it's funny that we, we hear that about these one credit unions where they have the do on sale clause and they actually try to exercise it. And I love the workaround. The whole cat and mouse workaround is, is really cool. Because uh, let's never feel sorry for the banks, right? But uh, yeah, good conversation there on that part. Now, a couple of things we want to talk about is I wanted to hear a few more case studies because I think this is fascinating. I think you know another case study example would be really cool, and it could have been one of yours. It could have been 
you know, one of the best case scenarios that you remember off the top of your head. Uh, you know, the case study thing is always cool because people get to hear, well, they found a home through X, they you know, talk to the seller, they convince them to do this X, and they close it and they made this, they made that. I mean, if you can give me another case study, that would be really cool. Go from there. So I, I think one that jumps to my to my thoughts. Uh, my, my my wife also does this, um, and and through her IRA, and so uh, purchased a home subject to, and then went and seller finance wrapped it out to an end buyer. The uh, house was le- legitimately possessed. Um, anytime someone bought it, uh, some type of life event, negative life event occurred, and they weren't able to pay the mortgage. So. The, the first time it occurred, gotten, and I always uh, say we're, we're very, very nice foreclosing lenders because you want to avoid dispute and, and also it's just the, the honorable thing to do. So I reach out and, and find out what's going on. Is it something that's permanent or, or is it a temporary issue? And if it's permanent, then we, we encourage them, all right, deed the property back to us. We don't want to foreclose on you and kick you out in the street. So we'll give you 45 days, what have you, um, maybe pay half. A mortgage payment um, and and then get a deed in lieu of foreclosure. Um, now, what I've done there is it's going to take me 45 days to foreclose anyway. If I start foreclosing, they're not going to pay me anything. So I've actually created some dollars where I might not have, have received them if I had started foreclosure. This house we sold again. And, and like you uh, alluded to before, we had the down payment. We didn't give the down payment back. It's, it's you know, her dollars. Uh, so uh, you go and sell it again, get another down payment. Uh, this occurred two more times where uh, some type of event occurred, we took the property back, deed and lieu, sold it again. So uh, another down payment was received. Uh, that one failed, got the property back, deed and lieu. And finally, we decided, OK, we, we, we have a possessed house. We can't keep it anymore. So we just conventionally sold that to an end buyer user. So that little small house up in Bell County uh, ended up being a, you know, hundred and twenty thousand dollar uh boom for my my wife's ira because of those continued down payments so that's i guess that's an example where it it illustrates even when the negative occurs you're you're still going to be bettered like again like you alluded to that you're going to go out and sell the property again so you're 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 protected in in these types of transactions uh now in in a huge market downturn uh it could have been a different story for us but uh, on that one, um, it was it was a, a good overall business for her. That's good stuff. We love those stories, and especially about a possessed home. So uh, that's a really cool thing. So did you have to disclose that to the to the next buyer coming in, or did it, what like part of a conversation at least? You know, in in, in one of the events, I, I I shouldn't be flipping about it. I mean, it, there there were actually life events for these people occurring that you know, were negative, and one of them included uh, an item that we possibly uh should have uh had had to have disclosed uh i always forget the rule uh, uh criminal death you have to disclose uh accidental death you don't so um it, it it did bring up some issues for us but uh and i you know i've wanted to check and see how that end buyer is doing uh just from a, a curiosity and, and and you know honor type situation where i'm hoping they do very very well uh, but i have not checked that that at least at this time well, we'll do a check check later on with the tax record, see if they still own it and they're still alive and kicking and, and doing well. But yeah, it's interesting how just even in the negative, you were able to make it a positive on the investment side. So that's kind of a really cool strategy. 
So one of the things we talked about in the pre-show was you had talked about hearing about or, or being involved with some new legislation that's going on. And so I want you to give us a few minutes on that because that's going to affect the subject to type scenario. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the legislature uh, three sessions ago tried to get RAP legislation in place and they, they failed that time, tried again the next uh, session and failed. And then this, finally this third time, uh, they, they've got some legislation out there and um, it's, you know, it's re- relatively complex. It involves a, a lot of different things in the finance code, the property code, but I can boil it down to, to two things that are very, very important. Uh, there's, there's required disclosures now um, and, and you have to get those disclosures in place and, and do it correctly and do it timely. Uh, other, otherwise the, the end buyer can rescind the, the contract. So, you're in a situation where you didn't disclose correctly. 18 months goes by that that end buyer could literally say, I always call it the Ali Ali all come free clause. They, they can say, uh, give me back all my money and I'll give you the property back. So obviously in a declining market, that would be bad. And then the other item, the, the other very, very important item is after your third uh, uh, seller finance wrap transaction, uh, you, you have to use an RMLO a uh, registered mortgage loan originator to come in and, and do uh, the, the normal uh, review, ability to repay review, and also uh, provide the disclosures that are required under the finance code. So if you're doing uh, three in a 12-month period, you're, you're fine. But once you hit that fourth in a 12-month period, you have to comply with all of this new legislation. And one of the items is is using that RMLO, which is going to increase your, your closing cost by you know, seven hundred to a thousand dollars. That that cost should be pushed pushed on to the end buyer, um, but it, it is something that needs to be respected. Uh, we don't know how uh, aggressively it's going to be uh, enforced, but uh, for right now, you, you you need to comply with the new legislation. So the the lender lobby got some something done there, huh? So they came yeah. into the legislature and said, "Oh, we're we're losing out on all these seller financing deals. We want you to shut it down." Is that what they did? No, it, it was actually uh, there, there. There were people taking advantage. So, in in that methodology that I discussed, the, the only one that I do, they they were taking the property subject to, uh, and then seller finance wrap. They would get the payment, you know, the nineteen hundred dollars that I referenced, but they wouldn't send the fifteen hundred. And so, some fella out in El Paso, uh, the senator's uh, uh, district, um, you know, made about one point two million dollars via this fraud. And so there, there was some uh, folks being taken advantage of, and it occurred around the state. So it was needed. Um, they, I think the legislature missed it in a couple of points, but they, they've, they've protected the folks now. Uh, at, at least there's ramifications uh, in, the, in the statutes now if you, if you try to take advantage of these folks. So it, it was needed. Lenders didn't really care. Uh, they, barely even, they barely even know what's going on uh, in, in regard to these types of things. So the lender lobby was okay to work with, um, but it was mainly just one senator that was protecting her district. That makes sense. I mean, it's not the end of the world, especially if you have a, a workaround. Like, if it's just a couple more disclosures and then a little bit of process at the end, you know, it's, it's probably all good to benefit most parties. And there's not that many, I'm sure, you know, full-time professional, uh, you know, people that are doing that, let's say. So it's probably a good thing for consumers. Consumer protection is always on our forefront as well. They changed their property code as recently in last September. They instituted 92.111 in the property code. And so that's that's affecting property management. And so, yeah, there's always new things that are coming out of these 
these situations with the legislature. So I want you to kind of paraphrase how we can best reach you, because I, I know people are going to be interested in talking to you more about your services, especially on the investment side. I mean, that's I'm interested and there's a lot more people interested because, you know, maybe we can pull out our crystal ball uh, and it doesn't show us much, but we might see a downturn in the economy a little bit to where these types of investments are going to be coming around. Uh, the latest predictions I read about yesterday said we're not going to see a crazy type of a recession like what we had in 2004, 2008, that type of stuff. Uh, we might see an adjustment, but it's not going to be like, you know, full-blown, crazy, awful recession because we always been, we've been saying this for 10, 15 years now. I'm like, you know, it's, we can't continually up, 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 and there's never a correction. But for the most part, supply and demand is going to rule. And if there's plenty of demand from investors and or primary resident buyers, uh, the supply issues are going to be the biggest problem. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Why are we so short of supply? Uh, is it government regulation limiting the builders? Is it, is it uh, just all the things that people have done to gather up these homes? Who knows, right? I mean, we could talk about that. But to paraphrase and kind of end this up so you can get on your day and actually go do something productive, tell us the best way to reach you and your team so we can explore these options and work with your team and getting these transactions closed. So good deal. And, and two things to touch upon what you're just saying. Uh, all, all the deferment programs here are going to come to an end. And depending on how the mortgage companies uh, require these, these folks to fix that deferment, whether it's demanding a lump sum payment, increasing their monthly payments, or putting it on the backside, I think foreclosures are going to pick up. And again, foreclosures are ripe for uh, mortgage wrap or sub two transactions. So you need to keep an eye out for that. Uh, in terms of how to get us, uh, for, fortunately, I've got a, a very, very unique last name. Uh, if you can spell Seshker, C-E-S-H-K-E-R, you're going to make it over to our website. Uh, there, there's only, gosh, there's a, a dozen Seshkers in the United States. So uh, I, I own Texas. Uh, so if you can spell my last name, you, you, you've got us. Um, uh, the actual email address to, to get to our general escrow is escrowteam at seshkergroup.com. Uh, and that's the, the best and easiest way to reach us. There is a point person in our office uh, that handles all of the, uh, the the clients for all the offices, Jessica. So when you email over to escrow team, you'll be emailing Jessica, and she's point person for our office to get a hold of me or to get a hold of your escrow team in emergency situations. Uh, so spe- spell Seshker and you'll you'll find us. Good stuff. I'm I'm anxious to see what the foreclosures come out with because you're right about the deferment. Uh, with the COVID deferment, are they going to just throw it onto the backside of the loan? Uh, are they going to say, okay, you're, you're good now, you know, write us a check for 20 grand. Uh, so what are they going to do? We don't know. And you know, the banks are going to want to get made whole, but at what cost? So it's interesting how that can play out. So good point there. So I encourage everybody, if they're interested in finding out further about some of the programs that you offer, just, just you know, do a Google search, reach out to you. The name will be in the show notes so people can reference that. They can check those out. But in the meantime, Alan, thanks a ton for coming on. It's been a great conversation. Good to, good to meet you over the, the Zoom call, and uh, let's forward to staying in touch with you. You bet. You bet. And I appreciate you having me. Uh, uh, we do have a, a real good FAQ document on mortgage wraps. In, in theory, it's supposed to be in lay people's terms. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Uh, might not have uh, did it, got it completed perfectly. But uh, reach out to, to Jessica and, and ask for the FAQ document, and it will educate you on, on what mortgage wraps are and what they're about. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Alan.